Friends, if you'd open your Bibles with me, we're going to be in a couple of passages. Exodus chapter 20, and then you may want to stick a finger in Hebrews chapter 4 as well. Exodus chapter 20, and then Hebrews chapter 4. God created us to thrive when we follow the pattern of work and rest and learn to trust in His provision for our lives. God's created us to thrive inside of this pattern, work and rest, and to learn how to trust that God will take care of our lives from beginning to end. So in other words, God created us, and God commands us to observe the Sabbath. Now, the biblical concept of Sabbath is sometimes a little bit hard for us to wrap our minds around. We read it inside of the Old Testament, and we wonder, well, how on earth can that possibly apply to us today? Uh, We live in busier and busier times all the time. Our lives grow busier and busier. Our schedules get more and more complicated, and so we hear, well, there's a sermon on Sabbath. We read uh, the Old Testament Scriptures on Sabbath, and we immediately think, How on earth is that supposed to apply to me today? In fact, there are some trains of theological thought that would say it doesn't really apply to us today, and yet the command stands for us to observe Sabbath. So we don't always immediately know what to do with the command, to keep a day of rest holy to our God. And we struggle how to figure out what this means inside of our busy lives. Nonetheless, Sabbath remains a command from God to us and is an important faith skill for the Christian. In Thrive, we're going to describe Sabbath like this. Trusting in God's provision through a rhythm of work and rest. Trusting in God's provision through a rhythm of work and rest. Now, we were made to work. In fact, that was part of the story last week when we talked about stewardship. God intends us to be good stewards over everything that He has given us. We were made to make something of this world. But overwork is destructive to us. It can actually reveal a lack of our trust in God's ability to provide for us. Now, by the same token, sloth is a sin, When things like amusement and leisure replace the biblical concept of Sabbath, our eyes are taken off God and put on other things. The right biblical pattern of work and rest, however, can actually teach us a lot about God's provision and how He made us. So, in order to make sense of this biblical notion of Sabbath, We're going to talk about the disciplines of rest and trust. What do we mean by rest? Sabbath is actually one of the Ten Commandments. It's one of the big ones, one of the big ten. In fact, when you read through the Ten Commandments, it's one of the longest of the Ten Commandments. It comes with descriptions. Why should we observe the Sabbath? Well, God actually tells us why we should observe the Sabbath. So, we're commanded to have a holy day of rest, to extend it to everyone who is in our influence, and we observe rest in response to a couple of important things that God has actually done 
for us. So we observe rest in Sabbath. And in in observing rest, we learn how to grow in our trust in who God is and His provision for us. We're going to discover this morning that the very first mention of Sabbath in Scripture is actually a powerful act of trust that God acts of His children who asks of His children who are walking in the wilderness. It actually concerns their food in a land where food does not normally grow. So it's a powerful, it's a powerful request from God on our behalf to trust in His provision for us. And from there, the concept of Sabbath makes its way through Scripture all the way to Jesus Christ. And we learn that our trust in Him is what provides our ultimate and absolute and final rest in God. So as in just about everything that we do, we're going to find ourselves again this morning at the feet of Jesus Christ, even talking about the Sabbath. So Exodus chapter 20 Exodus chapter 20 is one of the pivotal moments in the Old Testament. God's people have been brought out of the land of Egypt through these profound miracles that God performs. They've crossed the Red Sea. The Egyptian army has been swallowed up by the Red Sea. They're on the other side, and they are in the wilderness now. And God's people have come to Mount Sinai. Now, this is the place where they camp around this mountain, and God comes down and speaks with Moses. And he gives the law to Moses, and Moses becomes the lawgiver to the people of God. And most of the rest of the book of Exodus is a retelling of the law that God gives his people. So when we open up this chapter, we open up at this incredibly important moment in the lives of God's people. God gives, first and foremost, what we call the Ten Commandments. Sabbath is commandment number four. So it is. It's one of the big ones. So let's read it. In Exodus chapter 20, beginning in verse 8, it's going to go like this. There we go. This will go better now. Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates. For in the six days that the Lord made heaven and earth the sea, and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. God commands His people to set aside one day a week and to take a long nap. (laughs) I didn't read that in Exodus chapter 20. He commands them to set aside one day a week and make it holy. Okay, now this is interesting. If you spend some time going through Scripture, even just a simple word study to figure out where is Sabbath talked about, how is Sabbath talked about, more often than not, the concept of Sabbath will always be joined with the notion of it is a holy day. 
It is a day that is set aside for the Lord. So we need to understand that from the very beginning. Set aside this day for the Lord your God because it is a holy day. But what this does, this seventh day of rest, is we are given this basic rhythm where you have six days of work and one day of rest. Now, in the context of the lives of God's people, when they hear this for the first time in Exodus chapter 20, so to speak, this is a radical change from from the lives that they had led while they were slaves in Egypt. As far as we can tell, there was no such thing as a weekend while they were slaves. There was no such thing as a day off when they were doing that. But now they're on the other side, and now they hear from God who they are supposed to be, who God is, what their lives are supposed to be like. And inside of that structure, we are given this rhythm of six days you're designed to work, and on the seventh, you're designed to rest. So the Sabbath day is a day of rest for the people of God, a holy day intended to turn our attention, the text says, to the Lord your God. That language happens a couple of times in those few verses that we read. So already, from the very beginning, so to speak, we are learning that a day of Sabbath is far more than just a day in which I get to take a nap, finally. God does encourage rest, actual rest in our lives. He commands it, as a matter of fact, but He does not disappear from the picture when we do. Does that make sense? That the rest that we are given by God includes Him. In fact, it is designed to make sure our lives, our souls, our thoughts, our eyes, our minds are turned to the Lord our God. And notice this too about the text that we read. The day of rest is intended to extend to everyone in our influence. You, your sons, your daughters the foreigners who have joined you, the sojourners, the immigrants, don't make them work on a day of rest. Did you notice this too? Your animals get a day off. Your livestock get a day of rest. This is an all-encompassing day when everything about their regular pattern of work changes. So Sabbath then is this wholesale change in their weekly pattern. It is this wholesale change in their relationships with each other and their relationships with creation. Sabbath is a surprisingly broad concept in Scripture. It ends up being far more than just day number seven out of seven days. It ends up applying to structures of weeks and structures of years. God encourages His people to give parts of their land, if they're farmers, if they're vine dressers, you're supposed to let a section of your land lie fallow and to give it a Sabbath when you rotate your crops. It applies to debt forgiveness. We reach this special year in which if someone has taken out a debt and can't repay it, you call it off and give them rest from their debt. The notion of Sabbath actually becomes a large part of the structure of the people of God. Their relationships with each other, their relationships with foreigners, their relationship with the land itself. And all of it is intended to turn our eyes to the Lord our God. 
An interesting thing happens in the passage that we just read. There's the command, right? Take the seventh day. It is a holy day to the Lord. It's a day of rest. You and everybody around you gets a day of rest. Nobody does any work. And there's an answer to the question, well, why? And the answer to the question in Exodus chapter 20 is this in verse 11. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed that seventh day, the Sabbath day, and made it holy. We actually read of that occurring, and this is how it happens in Genesis. Genesis chapter 2, verses 2 and 3 put that moment like this. And on the seventh day, God finished His work that He had done, and He rested on the seventh day from all His work that He had done. So the Lord blessed the seventh day, and here's that language, He made it holy, because on it, God rested from all His work that He had done in creation. So this is a really cool thought in the notion of Sabbath biblically. When it's first commanded to us, we are told that our rest participates in the rest of God. Our rest is emblematic of, our rest remembers the rest of God that happens there in Genesis chapter 2. So we're reminded when we observe Sabbath, when we pay attention to it, when we rest, we are reminded that God is the creator of all things and we are His under-creators. He rested from His labor. He made that day holy and then He gives it to us for our rest so that then it can become holy for us as well. It's very simple, guys, on one level. The human body and the human mind need rest. We need space that is different from. We need time that is different from our work and our toil and our strife and all that we do to accomplish the things that we want and need to accomplish. We were made by God to break that pattern and to rest, find rest for us emotionally, spiritually, physically. Our patterns with other people need rest as well. Even play with other people. So guys, listen, insisting on work when God has ordained rest turns us into smaller versions of God trying to do what only God can do. When we insist on working, when God has commanded rest, we're overturning the pattern that God has created in our lives and we're tempted to begin to act as if we are God and the kinds of things that can do what only God can do. There's a wonderful book on the notion of Sabbath called The Rest of God by the pastor Mark Buchanan and he says this very simply, Indeed, the worst hallucination busyness conjures is the conviction that I am God. The worst hallucination the busyness conjures is that I've got all of this under control. I'm going to handle all of this. Now, when we think about Sabbath and work and overwork, notice this about Sabbath. Sabbath and work are not opposites. They're not opposites. That's why we are calling in Thrive Sabbath a pattern or a rhythm of rest and work. We're learning to trust in God's provision through a rhythm of rest and work. So, Sabbath and work are not opposites. 
Notice this. Rest is not the kind of thing that necessarily fixes what work breaks. So we can't have the perception that work is all toil and work is wrong and rest fixes everything that work does or breaks inside of us. But what rest does is it creates a healthy pattern, a healthy rhythm for both of these things of work and rest inside of our lives. And it actually renews us and honors God. We observe the Sabbath because it's a holy day designed by God, and we're supposed to pay attention to the Lord our God. Work without rest causes both our work and our relationships to begin to deteriorate. That kind of workaholism, that kind of overwork actually creates deterioration in our work as well as in our relationships. But then rest without work becomes the vice of sloth. So we're being given this healthy pattern inside of our lives to reflect the way that God has designed us. So our rest actually participates in the rest of God. Notice this as well. And the video that we showed that opens this up goes to this passage of Scripture. Rest restores our souls. Rest restores our souls. Those first three verses of Psalm chapter 23, Psalm 23 does so much for us. It shows us so much. It opens so many doors to our walk with God. Psalm 23, verses 1 through 3, and, and I hope that words like this sort of crack into our, crack into our hearts and minds and souls on a, on a day like this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for His name's sake. This kind of rest that God gives, that God even makes for us, restores our soul and glorifies the name of our Lord. It's a holy thing, and it turns us toward the Lord our God. The more I went through this this week and the more I kind of thought through this particular point, I think some of us need to hear this. God cares for the health of your soul. He cares about it. He's concerned for the health of your soul. You may not know what a soul is. You may not be able to define it or describe it, but you have one. God gave it to you, and God cares profoundly about the health of your soul. He cares more about your soul than He cares about your accumulation or your accomplishment. You see, so much of the busyness in our lives 
is, is managing tasks, tying together loose ends, accumulating what we think needs to be accumulating, accomplishing the things we feel like we're supposed to accomplish, and we're driven and we move, and there's striving and there's toil. Sometimes there's success. Sometimes there's disappointment. But in that kind of cycle, that's what our eyes see. That's what we begin to think is of most important in, most important in our lives. But God says, your soul is what I am after. The health and strength and salvation of your soul is more important to God than the rest of that stuff. I remember saying this as a kid, as a teenager. In fact, in conversation with my mom a little while ago, she reminded me I used to say this all the time. The closer I got to the end of high school, I was so tired of high school. I couldn't wait for high school to get over and I would say stuff like this all the time. I just can't wait for real life to get started. In my head, what that meant was, I've got stuff to do. I have things that I want to get accomplished, and they're not going to get accomplished until I get the right degree, until I get into the right job, until I can finally do these kinds of things. I was this very, and still am in many ways, this accomplishment-driven individual. But over time, that gets tempered. <laughs> and I learned that really... God's made me to do certain things, but He wants my soul in His hand more than He wants my accomplishments. Does that make sense? My soul needs to be healthy. Your soul needs to be healthy. There's this incredible passage of Scripture in Jeremiah chapter 17. So I told you that Sabbath is actually all throughout Scripture. And the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, deal with the notion of Sabbath in these really profound ways. Jeremiah chapter 17, Jeremiah is sent to the people of God to chastise them for not observing the Sabbath. And here's how God talks about His people breaking the Sabbath day. Jeremiah comes and he says, on the Sabbath day, your streets are filled with busyness and filled with vendors and filled with the exchanging of money. If you can imagine these ancient cities with all of these tents and tables set up and the streets are crowded and people are buying and selling and people are all over in place, all over the place inside of these streets on the Sabbath day. And Jeremiah says, your streets are crowded on the Sabbath day. But I've told you to stop that on the Sabbath. I need you to clear the streets because only when you clear the streets is the king going to be able to make his way into this city. If the streets are crowded, if the streets are busy, even if the king is at the door on his way in, he can't make his way in because you have broken the Sabbath. It's a powerful image. You and I take a day of rest in part to clear the streets of our souls, our hearts, our minds, so that the king can come in, so that the king can rule inside of this city. It is good for me to take stock of what is actually going on inside of my soul, and sometimes that just takes time. Rest. Silence, as much quiet as we can get, it just takes time with God because it needs to get cleared out of the way so that can, the king can come and have his way inside of me. Rest restores our souls. 
And then rest acknowledges the goodness of God and all that God has done for us. In Deuteronomy chapter 5, Moses reiterates the Ten Commandments. He goes through them again. And when he gets to the Sabbath commandment, the first half of the commandment is almost exactly the same as what we read in Exodus chapter 20. The answer to the question, why do we observe the Sabbath, is different in Deuteronomy 5 than it is in Exodus 20. Listen to Deuteronomy 5.15. This is the answer to the question, why do we observe the Sabbath? You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So when Moses retells the Ten Commandments, this time we obey the Sabbath because we remember that God brought us out of Egypt, because we remember that God saved us from our sin and God is leading us to His promised land. We remember the good things that God has done. So again, this is a holy day. This is a day that turns our attention to the Lord our God. So rest acknowledges the goodness of God. And all of this culminates, I think, in this notion that Sabbath, biblically, is an act of worship. Listen to Leviticus chapter 23, verse 3. It goes like this. Six days shall work be done, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, a holy convocation. It's a day in which, in fact, there is a gathering of worship. You shall do no work. It is a Sabbath to the Lord in all your dwelling places. So it is at a point like this, I think it is easiest to answer the question, what is there in the command of the Sabbath day for the rest of us? That what what about this belongs to us? It's not just the command to stop the 24-7 cycle of work and consumption but the regular command to make sure we stop and turn our hearts and minds toward God in worship. So there isn't a contradiction in gathering together to worship on what we might call the Sabbath day. It's part of the intention to make sure that we're paying attention to the Lord our God, to make sure we're remembering that God created all of this and we're engaged in the rest that God has given us, to make sure we remember all the good things that God has done for us, and we worship Him on a day like this, and it is a Sabbath day. So the notion of rest in Sabbath is broad, and it is powerful, and it can do these amazing things inside of our lives individually and our lives together. And then we very quickly recognize that in our rest, We're actually exercising the discipline of trust in God. So if you could be working and getting more done or making more money on a Sabbath day, if that's what you could be doing today, but you rest instead of work, you worship instead of work, you're expressing your trust that God will take care of all of those other things. Turn with me, please, to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 4. Hebrews chapter 4 and part of chapter 3 speaks directly to the notion of Sabbath and what there is in Sabbath that belongs to us. Why God created the Sabbath, what He is doing, what is meant by rest ultimately 
for you and me inside of the Sabbath day. When you read through this passage in Hebrews 3 and 4, you notice that it is both a warning and it is a promise connected to Sabbath. This passage reaches all the way back to the book of Exodus where we were in Exodus chapter 20. It reaches all the way back to God's people's wandering in the desert, those very individuals who received the Ten Commandments originally. And it says that as a matter of fact, those people who received the commandments, who received the commandment for Sabbath rest, they failed in their trust in God. They failed in their trust in God, and that generation died in the wilderness. But then Hebrews says, but there is still a Sabbath rest that God intends to give His people. And the key to that Sabbath rest is trust. Trust in God and what He has given us. And that's what the passage fleshes out. So in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Therefore, while the promise of entering His rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, that generation in the Old Testament. For good news came to us just as to them, but the measure, or excuse me, that the message that they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith or united by trust with those who listened. The promises that they were given by God were not connected to God's people by faith by their trust in God and what God had promised to do. So while the promise of entering His rest still stands, make sure that you're engaging with God in faith, in trust. So we notice this very quickly. Sabbath actually exercises our trust in God. This kind of discipline of trust allows us to rest and allows God to manage my affairs when otherwise I could be busy managing all of my affairs. The warning of Hebrews chapter 4, okay, the people of God were delivered from slavery. They were the recipients of miracle after miracle. That generation in the wilderness saw miracles that every generation wants to see. They saw it, and they saw it over and over and over again. And yet, on the other side, and after the giving of the law, we discover that they refused to trust God for their provision and for their future. That's the warning of Hebrews chapter 4. God's given you all of these things. Now put your trust in that God and you will find the rest that God wants for you. That's the warning of Hebrews 4. The promise here is that there still is a Sabbath rest. There still is rest for the people of God if only we put our trust in Him. So the rest is no longer the physical location of the promised land, but that then becomes an image of what God is now leading His people into. It is something so much more incredible, incredible than just a sliver of land. Now, this is interesting to me. The very first mention of Sabbath amongst the people of God is not Exodus chapter 20. It happens before that. And it happens in the context of the trust that God is asking from His people for their provision. 
their actual provision of food. What are we going to eat today? God uses the notion of Sabbath to teach them trust in their food, and it's the story of God giving them manna in the wilderness. They've crossed the Red Sea. They're out in this land where nothing grows. They don't stay long enough to grow crops and and to to harvest them and to make their bread and on and on. And they've got millions of people and all of these flocks and herds to feed. And they're wondering, what on earth are we going to feed everybody? What are we going to eat in the morning? God says, don't worry, I got this. Every morning when you wake up, there's going to be this stuff on the ground and you're going to be able to gather it up and you're going to be able to make it into bread. And every single day for six days, you're going to be able to gather this stuff and eat it. It's called manna. This is the story of manna. It's great. Manna in the Hebrew literally means what the heck? That's that's my paraphrase. The word means what is this? It's the provision of God. It's the miracle that God gives His people. Six out of seven days. And here's how God describes His provision. Exodus 16, beginning in verse 23, it goes like this. He said to them, this is what the Lord has commanded. Tomorrow is a day of solemn rest, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. There's that language again, a holy Sabbath to the Lord. Bake what you will bake and boil what you will boil, and all that is left over lay aside to be kept till morning. So they laid it aside till morning as Moses commanded them, and it did not stink. It didn't go bad. This is part of the miracle of the manna. And it did not stink, and there were no worms in it. And Moses said, eat it today, for today is a Sabbath to the the Lord. Today you will not find it in the field on the seventh day. Six days you shall gather it, but on the seventh day, which is a Sabbath, there will be none. If ever there was a reason to trust in the provision of God, it is, what am I going to eat today? God says, on the seventh day, don't worry. What you've gathered on the sixth is going to extend through the seventh, and then Monday morning you wake up and there's the man again, and we go through this process. But I'm going to provide for you. Don't go back out and gather it on the seventh day. If you've ever read the Old Testament, you know what happened on the first seventh day after that command. The very next passage, guess, guess what a lot of the people of God do? They get up out of their tents and they go out to gather manna on the seventh day. And it wasn't there. <laughs> it's an act of trust that God will take care of even the most basic of my needs. But we do this all of the time in our normal patterns and rhythms and relationships. When we think about it, we've taken things that are in our hands and we've entrusted them to others. We entrust banks with our money. We trust our employers with our time and with our social security number. If you're in the military, you sometimes even trust your life with other people. But are we willing to take even just a few hours out of the week and trust those hours to God? That's far harder for us to do for some reason. But Sabbath is teaching us something about trust. Listen to this, guys. Our all-knowing and all-loving God is always at work in a thousand ways inside of our lives. He is always at work inside of our lives. So I can rest. Sabbath takes our hands off the wheel, so to speak. 
and teaches us to trust that what God is up to is better than what I am up to. So we're releasing that control, we're releasing that work, and we're allowing God to do it. In his book, Christ Plays in 10,000 Places, Eugene Peterson puts it like this, if there is no Sabbath, no regular command, not working, not talking, we soon become totally absorbed in what we are doing and saying, and God's work is either forgotten or marginalized. So God had to give us this command, stop working, stop yakking, so that you can make sure that you can see what I am up to. Otherwise, we forget it. Otherwise, we marginalize it. Listen to how Hebrews chapter 4 kind of pulls this thought together about the Sabbath rest that still remains for the people of God. In Hebrews chapter 4, beginning in verse 9, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest is also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing the division of soul and spirit of joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and the intentions of the heart. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. So if we're talking about rest from our labor, to join in the rest of God, if we're talking about a holy day to reset our souls and to clear the streets for the coming of the King, If we're talking about a full and complete trust that God will provide for every one of my needs so I can actually take a day off, so to speak, then our Sabbath rest is found in Jesus Christ. All of this leads us to Jesus. All of this leads us to the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. Whoever has entered into God's rest has ceased from, has rested from their own works, the text says. So we cease from our works like God ceased from His, it says. We hear the good news about Jesus and what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And we respond not with more works, not with more achievement, not with more striving, but we respond in trust, in faith, in belief, and we find rest in Jesus Christ. And when we find this rest, we cease from our own works, the works to gain the attention and the favor of God. God has done it. God has completed the work. and He offers His land, His kingdom for us to dwell in and find the kind of rest that only God can give. So, guys, this good news, this rest, it is finally and ultimately the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember something about the structure of Thrive. We are still inside of the environment. Discover who God is. 
And I am hoping this morning that as we've kind of gone through part of the biblical teaching on Sabbath, that we've gone far beyond the sort of knee-jerk reaction of, well, I'm supposed to take a day off and do something different. I go to church, we rest. I don't know exactly what it means, but I'm going to try to fit it into my day. I don't know what to do with it. We've gone from just that to Sabbath teaches us who God is. And in the end actually leads us to the good news of Jesus Christ. You and I can stop our toiling and our striving for our own salvation to be accepted in the eyes of God because I have become a very good person. We lay that stuff aside and we find rest in the kingdom of God. We're learning something about God and we're learning to love who this God is. He has done the work. He has done it completely and now we receive it. This passage from Ephesians chapter 2, maybe some of us remember it. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. None of us work for it, but all of us can find rest in it. The gospel doesn't tell us what to do in order to achieve a right relationship with God. On the contrary, it tells me I cannot achieve it, that I don't have the strength of character to make it happen, but that God gives it. We put it like this from time to time on Sunday mornings. I think it's important to remember this. The gospel isn't advice. It's good news. It isn't advice. It's good news. And this rest culminates in Jesus Christ. Listen to this language of rest that Jesus draws us into Himself with in Matthew chapter 11. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Every other burden out there is heavy. Every other yoke out there is heavy. In the context of what Christ is telling these people there, it's it's the fulfillment of, of the law. It's the striving to be the perfect individual from day to day to day to day. I blew it, so I need to start over again and go over and over and over that kind of frustrating process. He goes, listen, come to me. It is here in Christ that you're actually going to find rest for your souls. His yoke is easy and His burden is light. It is trust in Jesus and in Jesus alone. Now, the text says something curious in that context. It says, let us strive to enter into that rest. Now, the context there in the very next verse, the writer of Hebrews then says, let us strive to enter into that rest. And then he begins to talk about the power of the Word of God. We receive the rest. We place our trust in Jesus Christ. But we learn very quickly that you and I need to know the Word of God. We need to allow the Word of God to know us. I mean, what a powerful image. 
the Word of God, as it works its way into our lives, can actually get into the joints of our souls, those places that we didn't think could be cleared apart, could be pulled apart, and the junk be gotten rid of, and the Word of God come in, and the kingdom of God come in, and give us who Christ is, and transform and change our lives. He says, the Word of God can do this. Get to know this God. Get to know the Word of God and allow this Word to get to know you. Only then, the writer is suggesting, will it have the access it needs to our souls so the King can come and have His way. Friends, does anything, okay, be honest with yourselves right now, does anything in your walk with Jesus Christ, even resemble rest and trust? Does anything in your weekly rhythm resemble rest? Does it look like trust in Jesus Christ? Have you been a Christian for a while now, maybe for a very long time, but you need rest in God? Do you know that you are loved by the God who made you, even if you never feel good enough or successful enough or important enough? Is any act of obedience on our behalf done out of fear or manipulation or pharisaical behavior? Or can I learn how to obey my God as an expression of trust? as an expression of trust of who He is. Maybe I even need to begin my walk with Jesus Christ. Maybe some of the things that I have heard this morning are utterly and completely foreign to me. I've never been told that there's a way to find rest. I've never been told that there's a God who loves me enough and who is powerful enough to be at work inside of my life in ways that I may never understand until I see Him face to face. I've never been told that there is a God who cares for the health and strength of my soul more than anything else that I might be able to accomplish with my own two hands. He wants you. There is a way to find this rest that God gives. In this life, and in the life to come, and it is trust in Jesus Christ. There is rest for everyone who puts their trust in Jesus. Let's pray.